so great to have you here, even though I feel like I've gone back to 2020 filming to a camera instead of you. Unfortunately, I have COVID and have been isolating for the last week, only two more days until freedom. But it means that I can't be with you in person. I miss all of you, but I'm in solidarity with those who are tuning in online instead. And before anyone thinks the leaders have been really mean and still making me preach, they haven't. My symptoms passed after a few days and I've been fine for the majority of my isolation period. Although I'm not sure writing a preach is how I would have liked to spend my time. Preaching is a funny thing. I haven't done it for long and every time I get to the point of writing a preach, I remember how much I struggle with it. The process at points can be painful and difficult. And I've come to the conclusion that it is because before you can preach on something, you have to know it and look at how it works out in your own life. Now, thank goodness we don't have to have it all sorted before we preach. If that was the case, none of us would ever preach. But you have to be honest and vulnerable with yourself and God and then with those who you're speaking to. And I'm just not so keen on that part. I was at a conference recently and in a time of worship, there was a word about some people who felt broken and in despair and that God wanted to work in them. I instantly knew it was for me. And I silently hoped that the person leading from the front would give a quiet way to respond, uh, put your hands out or share what God is going on, what God is going on with you with God where you are. But instead, he asked for those people to come to the front for prayer. I got it. I needed prayer and I needed to have that physical act to acknowledge to myself and to God of where I was at. But it also meant I had to admit to those around me that I was in that state, that I felt broken and was hurting to the point of despair. And now I've just admitted this all to you. This is the joy of preaching. In that moment, I did go forward for prayer. Instead of listening to my fears of what others would think and choose, or choosing to stay in the comfort of what I knew, I stepped out, took the risk and made the physical move towards God. And in that, I allowed God to step into the brokenness, which was what I needed. I could have so easily got, not gone, been stubborn and even said to God, you're the all-powerful one, you can do it here, I don't need to go forward. But in that, I would have acted out of pride and fear instead of vulnerability and openness. I wouldn't have given God the space to move and be at work in me. I wonder how you find being vulnerable. How easy do you find admitting your need for help? Are you willing to take a risk and be honest? Today's passage looks at a woman who does exactly this. She takes a risk, she steps out of the crowd, makes herself vulnerable and lays everything at the feet of Jesus, quite literally. And that's contrasted with a Pharisee and how he comes to Jesus in a very different way. The question I want us to be asking ourselves is how do you come to Jesus? How are you, who are you in this passage? Let's read it. We're reading from Luke chapter 7 verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed a certain money lender. One owed money, owed a 500 pounds, 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of him, them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you how many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So a quick bit of context here. Houses and open door policies at this time were very different to how they are for us now. Houses are more closed these days. We wouldn't just have anyone walking into our houses or gardens. But at this time, it was quite normal for meals that had a known prominent person in attendance to have an open door policy. There would be people milling about on the sidelines, watching and listening to what the person was saying. And at this point, Jesus was a known figure. People would have wanted to hear him speak. And the fact that Jesus was in the house of a Pharisee was not a normal occurrence. People would have wanted to be there even just to see what was going to go down between Jesus and the Pharisee. You can imagine the talk that would have been going around the town when the people found out that this meal was taking place. And really, this was a little bit of a risky move for Simon. I can't imagine the other Pharisees took too kindly to his invitation to Jesus. Jesus and the Pharisees weren't exactly known for getting on. We don't exactly know why Simon decided to invite Jesus to eat at his house, but there must have been something about Jesus that intrigued him. He would have seen and heard Jesus teach and do miracles, and he was probably part of the previous interactions that Jesus and the Pharisees had had. He was maybe trying to work out who Jesus was, trying to see if he was a prophet. He might have even thought Jesus could be a good addition to his life, potentially useful for him. And it might be that you identify with Simon in this story. You might be at church today because you're intrigued by Jesus. You wouldn't say you have faith yet, but you're trying to work out who he is. And I really want you to know that you are so welcome. We love that you are here and that you are searching and we think that you are in the right place for that. But I think there is something to learn here about how we come to Jesus. What is the attitude of your heart when you come to him? And this is something that we should all be asking ourselves, whether we're seeking Jesus for the first time or you've known him for years. Because yes, Simon comes to Jesus intrigued. He's taken a risk by having him in his house, but his guard is up. He comes to Jesus from a place of pride, of moral high ground, thinking that he is a good enough. 
His response to the woman really shows his heart and attitude towards Jesus. In verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus doesn't react how Simon thinks he should have, and so he writes him off. Surely a prophet, a man of God, wouldn't let a woman like her touch him. And Simon doesn't even show basic hospitality to Jesus when he arrived by offering by offering water for his feet or greeting him with a kiss. And he definitely doesn't see Jesus highly enough to anoint his head with oil, which was done for highly esteemed guests in that time. Simon might have come to Jesus intrigued, but there is absolutely no indication of his need for Jesus. How are you coming to Jesus? Are you coming to Jesus humbly? Or are you coming to see if he matches up with your life, your opinions and your plans? Do you come to Jesus in hope of him being a good addition to your life? Or in hope of finding the one who actually gives you life? Jesus makes a dig at Simon when he points out his lack of hospitality and compares him to this sinful woman. But he doesn't do it because he loves an awkward moment or because he wants to embarrass or condemn him. He does it so that Simon will realise his need for Jesus. How it isn't, he is in a different position to this woman. He does it so just maybe Simon realises and takes a moment to make himself vulnerable and need to see his need for Jesus. Simon thought that he was good enough, that he knew how Jesus should act. And when Jesus didn't act that way, Simon wrote him off. Are you coming to Jesus like Simon the Pharisee, with your guard up, judgment and pride in your heart? And Christians, don't discount yourselves in these questions. We can find ourselves doing this as well. And if we come to Jesus like this, if we come like the Pharisee, we will miss all that he has to offer us. And what he offers us is good. Are you approaching Jesus like the Pharisee or like the woman? As I said earlier, this would have been an event that people wanted to see. And so people would be gathering around as Jesus, Simon and the other guests lazed out on cushions and ate around a low table. You can imagine the crowd. No one would be social distancing. People are probably pushing each other or on tiptoes trying to get a better view to see what was happening and hear what was being said. And then this happens. Luke writes, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, if people hadn't clocked this woman while she was in the crowd, they definitely would have at this point. This woman who is sinful and is known for her sin comes to Jesus weeping. She is crying enough to wet his feet. This isn't a few glistening tears. She is weeping. She may even be wailing for all we know. This woman was overwhelmed. She must have been desperate to be with Jesus. Otherwise, why did she pick that moment to go to Jesus in the middle of a social gathering at a Pharisee's house who she must have known was not going to be pleased by her actions? She desperately wanted to be with Jesus. 
And she doesn't stop there. She's crying. All eyes are on her at this moment. And the way she deals with having cried all over Jesus' feet is to let her hair down and dry his feet with her hair. In the UK today, hair, women having their hair down is normal. I'm not breaking any social norms with having my hair down. But in Israel at this time, a woman letting her hair down in public in the presence of men was not acceptable. It was seen as shameful. And that, with her kiss in the feet, this was a promiscuous and dangerous act for her. This woman has taken a huge risk. She's broken several social norms and she is causing a huge scene. And she doesn't know what the Pharisees are going to do. They probably wouldn't have been taken kindly. And she doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. She takes this risk, but she must know that it is worth it. And she pushes her fear aside. She comes to Jesus, making herself completely vulnerable. And she lays everything at his feet, quite literally. The final thing that she does is pour perfume on Jesus's feet. At this time, hygiene was not as it is now. The smells would have been intense and not in a good way. We wouldn't be staying fresh with deodorant and perfume could cost an average person's yearly wage. This is an expensive thing to have. But if women could afford it, they would buy a small alabaster jar of perfume and that they would wear that round their necks so that the perfume smell would waft around them and they might smell a little bit nicer. For this sinful woman to have an alabaster jar of perfume, it must have cost her everything. This woman would not have had a lot of money and this would have been her most expensive item. And she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. It would be like giving up your house or your savings or the thing that is most important to you. It might even be your phone and the chance of ever buying a new one. She really did give Jesus everything. This perfume might have even been a source of income for her. Many Bible scholars believe that this woman was a sex worker and that in that case, the perfume would have been her way of attracting men and getting business. This woman takes huge risks in going to Jesus at the meal and she gives him everything in pouring out her most expensive and important thing at his feet. This is not just some weird thing that this woman does. This is huge. It is risky, extravagant and insanely costly for her. She lays everything down at the feet of Jesus. She risks everything to go to Jesus. Why? Why does she do this? Because she knows her need for Jesus. She knows she is broken. She knows she's a sinner and she puts her hope in Jesus. She goes to him trusting that he is the one who can save her. And she, he trusts that she, he is worth everything. She takes a risk to come to Jesus and lay everything at his feet. And in that, she doesn't find a telling off or rejection, but she finds love and forgiveness. When everyone else is condemning her for her many sins, Jesus forgives each and every one. Instead of being disgusted at her, Jesus praises her actions and uses them to point out Simon to where he has got it so wrong. How are you coming to Jesus? Are you coming to him knowing your need for him like this woman? Are you willing to risk everything to make yourself vulnerable and give him everything? And what is everything for you? What's the alabaster jar of perfume? It might be a physical thing. 
It might be your possessions, your house, your car, your clothes. It might be your career, your family, your grades. It might be the dream of what your life would look like. The relationship, the perfect career or family or your whole life. It might be what you watch on TV or the internet. It might be your phone habits. It might be what others think of you or even your opinions of others. For me, the alabaster jar can take a a range of shapes from how I spend my time and what I take in from TV, my phone and social media to the bigger things of life, the disappointments in life, the dreams that I thought were a given but actually haven't happened. And it can be a daily thing of not letting pride and self-reliance get in the way and instead going to Jesus, knowing that he is better than everything else and following him even when he asked me to do things I don't want to do. The woman did that. She gave Jesus absolutely everything, not knowing the outcome, but she knew her need for Jesus and that nothing else would be better than him. Whatever we gave to Jesus, his forgiveness is far better. The forgiveness of Jesus this woman gets and each one of us means that we are made right with God, that our shame, guilt and sin are removed from us and we get to live in the freedom and presence of Jesus now and forever. Jesus in this interaction tells a story of a moneylender and two debtors. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had money to pay it back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Neither person could pay their debt. There was no way around it. No way to make this right on their own. Both needed someone to save them and pay their debt. Or in this case, they would end up in prison. The woman knew the size of her debt and she knew she was not able to repay it. She knew she needed a saviour. That's why she comes to Jesus broken, vulnerable and giving him everything. Simon didn't know the size of his debt. He probably thought that actually he didn't have a debt or at least he could cover it with him, himself with good deeds and following the law. He didn't come to Jesus open and vulnerable but came closed and from a place of pride. And Jesus shows him that his debt is just like this woman's, and neither could pay it. Simon fell short of the glorious standard of God, just as the woman did, and just as each one of us does. We all sin. We all have a debt of sin that we cannot pay. None of us can make up for our sin, pay the debt, or make ourselves right on our own. If we think we can pay our debt of sin on our own, if we think we are good enough people and so it will be okay, We're kidding ourselves. It is like if we tried to paint a masterpiece but have paint all over our hands and whatever we do, that paint keeps on getting onto the canvas in the wrong places. And we can try not to get paint everywhere or we can start over with a new canvas. But what we really need to do is just wash our hands. And in the case of our sin, we can't do that ourselves. But Jesus can. And this is what Jesus does. He sees our mess. He knows our sin. He knows it all and he forgives it all. He pays the debt in whole. He sets the woman free from her sin, just as he does for us. Have you experienced the forgiveness of Jesus? Do you know you are forgiven? If you don't, the offer is open to everyone. The offer is open to you. 
Jesus offers you complete forgiveness and freedom from your sin. It will cost you everything and there will be daily moments where you have to lay that down again. But it is worth it. The forgiveness and freedom is only found in Jesus because he is the only one who is able to pay our debt. He is the only one who didn't have a debt of his own to pay. The only one who didn't sin. He left heaven, became human and lived a sinless life and died on a cross to pay our debt. Because debts don't just disappear. Someone has to pay it, whether that be the debtor, someone else or the money lender. There is always a cost to pay with a debt. In the parable, the money lender absorbs the cost. He forgives the debt, even though he didn't have to. And in the case of our sin, Jesus pays the cost, even though he didn't ha- it wasn't his debt to pay. He exchanged his perfect, sinless life for our sinful lives. Jesus became human, died on a cross, faced death and defeated it so that we could be forgiven, set free, made right with God and dwell with him forever. Jesus lived the life we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. Jesus took on our sin and died so we could be forgiven, so we could know the power of his forgiveness just like this woman and we could be reconciled to God. If you don't know the forgiveness of God, you can. You can come to him today, laying everything at his feet, knowing the forgiveness that he offers you. And if you know Jesus, if you know his forgiveness, it is worth asking yourself, how have you been coming to him? Are you coming to him with everything? Jesus is worth everything because he has given us everything. There is freedom in forgiveness of Jesus. There is freedom in the kingdom of God. The gospel really is the good news and it propels us to worship him, holding nothing back because that is what he has done to us. Following Jesus isn't always easy. It takes courage and faith and we can't exactly know what will happen, but we can be sure of his reaction to us and we can trust in him and the forgiveness he gives us. How are you coming to Jesus today? Are you coming to Jesus like Simon or like the woman? Let's step out of the crowd, make ourselves vulnerable, go to Jesus, knowing in him we find extravagant love and complete forgiveness. Amen. Amen.